Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,663. Some say that he doesn't need all the gears on the Cars Yeah logo to win a race, and that he will reveal some things today that nobody has ever known. All I know is, today, I'm talking to the Stig. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I'm revved up, and I am very excited because I'm across the pond today with somebody very special. You probably know him as The Stig. I know him as Ben Collins, calling in from Bristol in the UK. Ben, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready to rock and roll. All right, we'll have some fun today. This is pretty cool. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, I want you to share one little thing that most people may not know about you. Well, um, one thing they don't know, well, perhaps I'm afraid of heights. That could be something I've never really revealed before. So. so it's just one of those things. I guess I don't do it regularly enough, but I get a big buzz when I do go up on uh, on, t- on tall buildings and things. It's funny how um, these phobias kind of creep up on you. But yeah, if I'm near the edge of a building, I think it's a natural fear, to be honest. I think it's just self-preservation. So I'm kind of glad it's there. My wife works with little babies and she was, we were just talking about this a couple of weeks ago that even little babies have a built-in mechanism to know that when they get up to the edge of something, not to go over. Now, little ones will roll over because they, they're trying to define their spatial, but I'm talking about six months and plus, is they just don't like that. I think there's something built into our brains that preserve us. But for a guy who's been a stunt driver and done all the crazy things in cars, that's quite interesting. But uh, I must have been dropped too many times as a baby. Well, that's maybe, probably- <laughs> maybe that's so. We'll have to talk to your mom about that and see what she has to say. Let me give you a proper introduction, Ben, and we're going to talk about your life as a stunt driver, your life as, of course, the Stig. And also, I want to talk about this very cool new book that you're doing. You've written a couple books. So let me give you a proper introduction. Ben Collins was the Stig on BBC's Top Gear TV show for almost a decade starting in 2002. He was that mystery man in white under the racing helmet. Ben has won races throughout his 20-plus year career, winning the European equivalent of NASCAR in 2003, followed by the Le Mans series in 2010. And he was Ferrari's fastest driver at Le Mans in 2015. That is impressive. He's been a stunt driver in numerous commercials and many movies, including three James Bond movies. How cool is that? And doubled as Hans Solo in the latest Star Wars movie. His books include The Man in the White Suit and How to Drive. And his most recent book we'll talk about today, Aston Martin, Made in Britain. We'll be back in just a minute to talk with Ben, but first a word from our very valued sponsors. Give him a little time. Hold on. We're with the Stig today. It's going to be fun. We'll be right back. Did you know Covercraft offers you much, much more than car covers, floor mats, seat covers, and trunk liners? When you visit Covercraft.com, you'll find Cologne Custom Bras, Labra Front End Covers, and Hood Protectors that protect your vehicle's front end while on a road trip. No more rock chips or hours removing nasty bug jerky from your grill and your paint. You'll find vehicle seatback organizers that keep everything in check, perfect for those kids in the back seat. Spidey gear webs that keeps cargo that's in your truck bed safely in place. Seat heaters, 
cargo bars, pro nets, rooftop carriers, bumper frames, bump steps, pet ramps, pet travel barriers to keep Fido in the back seat, tire covers, Carhartt backpacks, cooler bags, tote bags, tool bags, and zippered tote bags to keep everything secure. And don't forget their dash mat dashboard covers that shield the sun's damaging UV rays. Covercraft offers you an incredible list of solutions for your favorite rides. They're easy to install, easy to remove pet protection pads, are easy to wash too, and protect your floors and seats from Fido's damaging claws and messy fur and air. And here's something special from me here at Cars Yeah. If you use the code YAH120 at checkout at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off on me. Covercraft.com. Go there and use the code YEAH120 at checkout for that 10% discount. Covercraft, they've got you covered. When it was time to renew my last policy for my collector car, my carrier's rates went up. They went way up. But my usage was the same, and I never had made a claim. No tickets, nothing. What's with that? American Collectors Insurance, that's who now protects my Porsche Turbo. The one I call my orange crush. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? I was too. So I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, am I glad I did. I'm saving hundreds of dollars. I can sleep at night knowing my baby is properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provide me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by a history of taking care of their clients. What could be better than that? Give them a call for a quote today at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. All right, Ben, we are back. And I always start by asking my guests for some kind of a success quote or a mantra. Some kind of saying that's been instrumental in your life. Maybe it's a way that helped you be so successful in your life. It's a nice way to get the wheels smoking, which is something you do very well. I'm sure sure you've toasted many sets of tires. So Ben, I know you love to drive, grab the wheel. Well, um, I'm stealing it from a friend of mine, but um, it's great advice, which is the longer it takes, the longer it lasts. And that's referring to careers. And um, I think that with uh, when you've got a passion for something um it's always a bumpy road it's never a straight line when you want to get to um to meet your objective and for those moments where you seem to be in the doldrums i think it's good to remember that um, sometimes the harder something is the bigger the challenge the more you learn along the way the more you expand your network you 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 know develop friendships you you um you find out um, i guess the hard way really you, you build a stronger foundation i think that's what it all means and that's what it means to me anyway so, um, yeah, you can apply that to whatever it is in your life that you, you want to do. And certainly with, for my racing career, that, that's been true. The more you put in, the more you get out. And, um, and yeah, and I've been very fortunate to be able to expand that into, into making movies and also into writing books. So, yeah, I, that's um, a good mantra. And I think, I suppose, if you were to shorten it, it would just be um, never quit. Yes. You know, I've, heard, I've interviewed hundreds of race car drivers, and all of them use the mantra, never, ever, ever quit, never give up which is classic for drivers. But let's talk a little bit about your career before we dive into this uh, newest book. I mean, you've done so many pivots in your life. You've done so many cool things. Were you a race car driver first? And then that evolved into stunt driving, which of of course included your role as the Stig. And of course, being on all these movies and getting to drive in these movies, which is 
the most fun part for me of watching any movie is watching the scent driving. I think it's absolutely brilliant. So how did your career and your life evolve? Kind of walk us through the steps. Yeah, for me, I thought it was a natural progression to go from motor racing to um, working on with films where they're you know driving cars fast and smashing them up. Um, the big difference between the two is that with racing, you're you know you're there not to smash the car up. And they're hugely expensive. I mean, movies sometimes there'll be a scene where that's exactly what they want you to do. But the skills are, are transferable. There are some big differences. So like I mentioned, not crashing being one. But with um, with racing, it's about producing a lap time. So the, the shortest distance, the highest speed, um, the shortest amount of time. And that involves being very neat and tidy. So you're using the tyre to, to its maximum performance to get that car around as quickly as you can. And that generally means not sliding. And um, so in the, in the old days, in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, you could get away with a certain degree of sliding the car. It looked amazing. Those cars are fantastic to drive and they, they have that forgiving side to them. But in the modern era, really, if you, if you drive like that, you're not going to produce the fastest time. So you watch these, these laptops being produced. They're quite clinical. So drifting, as it's now called, where you deliberately you know, power slide through the corners, it's not something you really do. And I had a lot of fun. Ant Robinson, is, uh, is, um, well, a, friend of, a couple of, anyway, a couple of drivers I've worked with before, very successful race drivers, but when you get to sort of drifting, they're completely at sea and they have to learn this skill from scratch. The danger is you can't go back. Once you um, open the tap, you, you then oh, become really? a slower driver. Oh, so it's something that kind of gets in your skull and it's hard to get back out if you're going to get back into a race car? It can, yeah. It can it can confuse you. And if you start driving, yeah. So for me, I keep them in two completely separate silos and I, I put, I've got the two different heads. <laughs> um, and I was fortunate. So first, my first step was into television. And that's where I started to hang the tail out of these cars for a camera. And through Top Gear, um, they went in towards live shows and performances of that kind. So um, that really was where on, on the sort of like tight, small arenas, basically surrounded by concrete. Uh, we used to slide these things around, highly choreographed. Timing was really um, perfected. And that's where you really hone because a live performance, you can't afford to spin off. You can't afford to slide into a concrete barrier. That's not what the audience paid to see. Um, and you've got maybe four or five other drivers working in and out with what you're doing. So it had to be really highly um, perfected. And um, that's where I took the car control to another level. So um, that was really good training. Although I, I say that as a kid, I grew up on a farm. We had quad bikes and stuff. So I was always sliding stuff around. But um, I found a, a good outlet for it with um, with the live stunt shows. And that I think that ability to to be ready to go right on on cue it's exactly the kind of skill you need for movies because um although we do a lot of rehearsals at the end of the day when the cameras are ready there's a few hundred people on the set you're in the car um and quite often it has to be right on that first take so um yeah the the pressure's on and you need to have the skills ready to go when they want it now how did you get involved with being the stig how did that whole process because you you probably know perry mccarthy yes he's been a guest on the show here and he talked about how he was first approached he was i guess he tags himself as the original stig the black stig if you will and then as i watched top gear later on i always thought wait the stig's white what happened here he's changed color so how did that evolve how did you get invited to be a part of this and did you enjoy it was it fun you did it for a long Uh, time yeah I, I just started making some forays into television and um, I'd had a couple of different um, interviews with, with this and that. Perry's character, the Black Stig, had just been killed off and um, he, I guess his, his time was, was coming to an end at Top Gear. So they loaded up um, the Stig character and on a, they put him in a Jaguar on, on a 
an aircraft carrier at sea and shot him off into the North Sea, never to be seen again. <laughs> it was the best thing for him. <laughs> uh, so, um, so that was the end of, of Perry's time and, and the Black Stig was no more. So they wanted to recreate the character. So they came up with um, fairly simple, we'll switch colours, we'll go for the, for the white Stig. Yeah. Um, and that's where I came in. So um, towards the end of 2002, I got called to the track to do uh, an audition, I guess is what you'd call it. My future boss... Um, produced a stopwatch and a, and a Ford Focus RS, I think it was. And um, they tied me around the track. Didn't tell me if I'd done good, bad or otherwise. And I didn't really hear anything for several months after that until one day I got a phone call and it was, can you get to the track? And I found out I had the job as, as the Stig. So there, there it was. And it was uh, an ill-fitting uniform and um, a helmet that looked fairly familiar. So I got into those and, uh, and, and yeah, started learning how they make, how they make the show. And, um, it was brilliant because my experience of a camera was extremely limited and usually terrifying because you're being interviewed and asked questions and stuff. Whereas the Stig character was fantastic. Yeah, you don't have to talk. Just stand just there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I got to learn from those, these fantastic camera teams, uh, how they, how they work the shots, where they place the cameras, how to make the shot look fast um, and how they stitch it together in the edit. So it was a fantastic grounding and um, yeah, I loved every minute of it. Now you got to also during your time as the Stig, you would ride around with the guests and give them guidance for when they did their laps. I mean, that's pretty cool. Cause you got to sit next to some famous people, obviously some of them are probably very quite, in- quite interesting, right? Yes. And uh, I got very starstruck in the beginning. I, Christian Slater was the first one that really got to me. And wow. um, I'd seen him on all the movies and uh, I loved True Romance and all these other films he'd been in. And then suddenly this person's there and, you know, it's just getting out of your mind. You know, what you see on screen is is a performance from them. And so the reality is somebody who maybe not has, doesn't have much driving experience, certainly not much racing experience or has never driven a manual or a stick shift, as they call it. So you know, you have to just treat everybody differently as, you know, as an individual, yeah. find out what their strengths and weaknesses are, which is what I've always done as an instructor and then get the best out of them. So, um, w- once I calm myself down, that was what I would focus on. And, um, you just take everyone as you find them. And, uh, there's, there's always, uh, the, the fun side of it where people are, you know, over exuberant or, or the opposite. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the, the best that we have for just sheer, um, determination was tom cruise and cameron diaz they both came at the same time um, on the show and uh, it was raining when they both arrived and cameron was really really fast she was very smooth and she had maybe a little bit more racing experience i think than tom um she'd been she'd done the long beach grand prix in the the celebrity race in the toyota i think i think she i think she maybe even won it i'm not sure but she was very very quick knew what she was doing and was great fun as you'd expect um as was Tom, but when the track dried, Tom reappeared and was just, you know, he was absolutely, he loves um, all things action related. You know, I know a lot of the people he works with constantly on the movies who work on the stunt team with him and, and, you know, he's into everything. He, he's an amazing action performer as well as an incredible actor. So no surprise, he was determined to do well in the car. And um, I think the producers were really nervous. They'd never had such a, you know, a, an amazing asset. Yeah, and I think there were there was an insurance thing, huge premium, but uh, you know they had all these Winnebagos and all this sort of stuff. But he was just really down to earth. He, you know, he shook everybody's hand. He, he was incredible with all the crew getting to know people. But when he got in the car, you saw a, a, a very much more focused side to him, and um, so he was really hanging on every word to go faster. 
So I, I did a few laps to show him where to go, sat with him and kind of gave him the pointers, basically. Got out. And so what I would normally, at that point, I was, is observe. And you get quite good at seeing a car's behavior from a distance. So I could kind of see what was going on. And I would give him these tips of, you know, where he could cut some time, whatever. And one of them was to shave the final corner a little bit tighter. Actually, the last two corners, you can make up a lot of, lot of time there. Yeah. So he was doing this. The producers were getting more nervous and telling me to stop talking. <laughs> yeah, stop to telling him to go fast. Just leave him alone. Yeah. <laughs> but the last tip about cutting the corner, he really took it on. He cut the whole thing. And um, as he clipped this concrete, and I'd never see, I've never seen a car do it at that corner before. It somehow got underneath, it tucked the tire under and it put him up onto it. It basically looked like the car was going to barrel roll towards where we were standing. It tipped the car right up onto, onto two wheels. Whoa. And um, not only did he not bail out, um, you could hear him teasing the throttle whilst he's up in the air like that. I mean, wow. nobody I know would, would do that. Um, the car crunched down onto four wheels and he crossed the line with the fastest lap. So that was uh, <laughs> really amazing. You couldn't make it up, not even in Hollywood. And it was his fastest time. So, um, and he he had a real he got a real kick from it. So wow. that was pretty cool. And then I got to for, for even more sport. If that wasn't enough, they were there for uh, the premiere of their movie Night and Day. Mm-hmm. So um, they had to rush off for that. But we had this Bugatti, and he cut he. He let me know, let me take him for a spin, but he wanted to drive. And he wasn't, he's like, what should I do? I'm going to be late. And I said, it's your day. You can do what you want. So we stayed. We did a bunch of um, 180 mile an hour runs in the Bugatti. And then they, they sped off to get to their premiere in time. Wow. How fun is that? Well, was that a lead in from doing the Stig to doing movie? Uh, or were you doing some movies before that? Stunt no, driving? I thought that was, that was my last, um, series in 2010 when i met tom and cameron diaz and uh so i was already working in films by 2007 so that kind of happened it was a little bit strange i've been trying to um meet people and talk about that the possibility of doing something but it really and it was i was still heavily involved with racing but i had a massive accident in 2007 a a guy behind um thumped into the back of my car I then spun into a, a stationary car and broke four ribs, basically, and a, and a bone in my neck. So that laid me out for motor racing. I just, you know, it, I, I wasn't, I couldn't, the, the cars have got high G and uh, you just can't do that until you've repaired. But one of the calls I've been, you know, working on with the, with the film side came off. So within a week of that, I was filming Top Gear again. I was walking around London with broken ribs doing the, um, we did a, a transport competition. So there was me on public transport and uh, I can't remember who took the boat. Someone took it, Hammond was on a bicycle and James drove, I think, something like that. And um, we all tried to get across London. So I was doing that and the phone rang and it was to, to work on a, a Jerry Bruckheimer movie, National Treasure 2 with Nicolas Cage, to go and do some work with that. And so I, I jumped at that. So, you know, I couldn't race. Um, I, it was an opportunity I didn't want to didn't want to lose. So um, off I went and I hobbled towards uh, Pinewood Studios and then we got filming in, in London. It was, it was amazing. That was my first movie, first big car chase. That's cool. Well, I always ask my guests this question and being in the career that you've been racing, uh, this may be an easy answer. And that is to share a big challenge you faced in your life, even a big failure, something that happened that really kind of set you back. But the real important part of this is what was that learning lesson that you took forward in a positive way out of that experience? Take us on a little trip here, Ben. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I suppose um I can't say that I've really suffered an enormous setback, but um, I suppose the the big challenge has always been, you know, pursuing that, pursuing your dream, and you just take it as you find it. So, 
for me, one of the one of the most exciting things I, I got to do was to go to Le Mans for the first time and uh, to race in the 24 hours. And, um, you know, I suppose growing up in Britain, you get used to bad weather. But I mean, it, at Le Mans, it, it goes to another level. So it was a 24 hour race where it rained for, for 17 hours out of 24. Oh. So that's um, that was something else. The car we were racing was um, capable of 215 miles per hour, had 800 horsepower in the rain. Uh, as you shifted through the gears, the, wheel, the wheels could spin in every single gear, even sixth gear. Um, the wheels would, would hit standing water and um, you'd get wheel spin at any speed. So you could be doing 160 miles an hour. Oh. Um, there was enough water on the track to pick the car up and, and make the wheels spin. Um, so I can remember in the nights, and, and this is, you know, it's a big piece of hardware. The car is, it's got, so it's got Formula One power. It's got Formula One level of grip from the downforce and everything. It's expensive. The team's all there and they're hanging on you and you've got the competitors are the best in the world. You've, there's a, a raft of sort of Formula One drivers that were that were hired into the manufacturers and stuff like that. So there's a lot of responsibility. And I remember this journalist coming up to me um, at midnight or just before midnight and just saying, you must be absolutely bricking it. And, um, you know, I mean, he, as he looked out and these the puddles were, were forming in the pit lane, you could see the, the droplets that were splashing into the, the puddles. And um, I was just so excited. And um, I suppose I thought back, you know, all the years of driving in the rain and, and learning what that's about. And I said to him, I, I cannot wait to get out there. And he, he looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose um, I just was I was there rehearsing in my mind all the all the things I'd learned over the years about racing in the rain and the pitfalls and, um, and, and what to do. So I kind of felt I had a plan. And it was a, a really bizarre experience because go out, you learn the track in the daytime and all the markers disappear at night because you, you kind of, it's only what you can see through the, the cones, the, the beams that you've got shining forwards. So you do have to think differently. You have to come up with new markers. So you develop a new track in your head and you, you, you drive the different markers than you would in the day. But then when it's raining, you can see even less. I was driving an open top car. So everything just hits you straight in the face. Um, and when you're following another car, if you come up behind it, or if the, particularly if the track is blocked by two cars racing side by side, um, you kind of, um, you, well, you can't even see the front of your, your own car. So the, the vision is that bad. Wow. So you learn to look um, in your peripheral. And again, you, you build a different map. And on top of that, there's the corners. But what had happened at the, the track that year is, is that um, the puddles were forming unevenly. And, you know, that was a good thing. Because once you worked out where they were, you could drive around. So the straights weren't straight anymore, which is what, what I figured out. So I was driving this very strange lap turning left and right um, down the Molsan Strait, gingerly kind of breaking. And each lap was just sort of finding your way um, up until the point where I had this new map in my head. Um, and I just drove to that. And uh, I, I didn't know if I was doing good, bad or indifferent, just like my audition with uh, Andy Wilman at Top Gear, the producer, um, until I came for a pit stop. And everybody was looking at me really strangely. And my team owner, teammate, uh, Klaus Svart, um, came over to the car and was was agitated. I could see he was nervous and he, he was desperate to talk to me. And I thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble. He's going to tell me to speed up. And he's saying, you know, slow down. You're, 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 going, you're going too fast. You're three seconds a lap quicker than anybody else. And uh, you Whoa. need to take it easy. You're going to destroy the car. I was like, oh, okay. So actually, which felt great um, on the one hand uh, to, to know that I was at least performing. And then I, I grabbed the team manager and just, and just said, look, you know, let me just keep me posted on what, what I should do. Anyway, we, we went through the night like that and um, 
got to unlap the car. We're past, um, we were running 18th and I think two laps down. So I caught the two laps back, um, got us up to fourth overall. And when unfortunately the car packed in and that was the end of that. But um, but it was a big challenge. And I think, um, and it, but for me, it was a, a high moment, even though we never even finished the race. It, it was that first time at that level um, and being able to, to make it stick felt great. <laughs> so. Oh man, well, you had me on the edge of my seat. Holy cow. That I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. <laughs> it's pretty wild. And there's nowhere you kind of, you do this stuff and you think, well, is this legal? Because it's so dangerous. I mean, or I mean, it's, you could say, is it dangerous? Is it not? I mean, at, with Top Gear, we went to Silverstone for the, I guess, the less challenging, but equally fun in many ways, brick car, 24 hour race with a, a diesel BMW. It wasn't the most exciting, but it was a similar thing because the fog came down. And they, so they threw me in. So I, you know, the presenters, I was driving with um, Richard, James and uh, Jeremy. It's like you got, those guys went and got, went to sleep basically. And I must've driven around. I mean, the diesel tank, it went on for hours. There was no stopping. Just, you could just drive around for hours and hours on, on this tank of fuel. And you couldn't see anything. And I couldn't believe that the organizers hadn't canned the race, but at the same time, you know, because it, it was just nuts, but it was really, really good fun. And you think this has to be illegal, but there, but we're allowed to do it. So it's a great feeling. Absolutely. Well, we're going to get to this book you've written in a little bit, but first we're going to take a short break. Uh, thank our sponsors again. And we come back. I want to dive into your personal passion for cars. Maybe go back in time when you were younger and you got into vehicles. So keep your seatbelts on. We're here at the Stig. We'll be right back. Let's step away from the conversation to talk about our charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, America's Automotive Trust. America's Automotive Trust is a group of like-minded nonprofits that are working together to preserve and promote car culture across the country. Together, they provide scholarships and grants to aspiring technicians and restoration artists. They provide youth education programs and bring communities together through automotive-related events, car shows, and drives. Among those nonprofits is RPM Foundation, a terrific organization working to keep our favorite collector cars on the road. RPM was created to ensure that the specialized skills needed to care for classic automobiles, boats, and motorcycles continue to be passed down from generation to generation. They do this by supporting training for young people with a passion for restoration and setting them up with mentors who can share their valuable knowledge. So far, they've awarded more than $3.5 million to restoration education projects across 35 states. Incredible. To learn more about RPM or to donate to their mission, visit www.rpm.foundation. You'll be glad you did. What do you do after running a race team for 27 years with over 100 professional wins, multiple wins at the 24-hour of Daytona, and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're Kevin Buckler, a racer and the racing group's team owner, you create Adobe Road Winery. Located in Petaluma, California, he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series, four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, and a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. Today I'm going to tell you about Redline. It's a rich and complex blend delivering a taste of ripe blackberries, black cherry licorice, and a hint of toasty oak. An added very cool option is that this features the world's first interactive wine label. That's right. 
When you pour the wine, the three-dimensional tachometer actually hits the red line. It's incredible. The Racing Series is a killer gift for the automotive enthusiast in your life, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code CARSYEAH, all one word, in all caps, when you go to checkout, you'll get $10 off any purchase of wines from the Racing Series. The wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout for $10 off of your purchase today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the Racing Series. Go to adoberoadwines.com and use the code CARSYEAH to save $10 today. Cheers! My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must-read. Whether you dream of owning a collector car, maybe you have two, or maybe you've got 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah. If you use the checkout code Cars Yeah, you'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Cars Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH. And you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right. $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Cars Yeah for Sports Car Market Magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. All right, we're back. I want you to share with me, Ben, a story that instigated this personal passion you have for cars and racing, that pivotal moment in your life, as you remember, when you knew you were going to be a car guy and a racer. Yes, for me, it's, it was funny. Growing up, I, I only wanted to be a fighter pilot. And um, that dream was shattered by the, my optician, um, who uh, who explained there's a very high requirement for both of your eyes. And um, I, I can see 20-20, but my left eye wasn't up to scratch for whatever medical reason that he gave. So that was that. And um, But that, that feeling never really went away. And one day, uh, my, my father, who was heavily into cars, he very kindly, for my 18th birthday, got me a, a trial at Silverstone Grand Prix track. And as I lowered into the cockpit of the car, it instantly reignited all of that, all those years spent dreaming of being a fighter pilot. I just felt it was the same kind of thing. Yeah. And then fired the engine up, the whole the, the thing shakes through your body. You get that instant connection. And from the get-go, I, you know, I went off onto the track, just felt an amazing connection, loved what I was doing. I, I did good times. And um, the instructor was, you know, saying you know that's you've got you've got what it takes to go and race you you know you're you're naturally fast um so um so that was that kind of hook but i suppose subliminally it had always been there because my father was really the inspiration he was the the wild man at the wheel um every there was no, no such thing as a routine event in a car with him he was the 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 king of overtaking maneuvers much to my mother's terror um but i loved it in the back seat it was always pretty entertaining so 
I suppose it's a neat segue to, you know, the book I've written it starts with him because um, it was a, a boring day. I, I can't even remember if it was a weekend or not. And he, he, he said he wanted to go out. He was going for a drive to buy some socks. And we drove out and he, he skipped the sock store and went out and bought an Aston Martin. And that was that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's quite a sock visit. Yeah. I'd- yeah. So he was definitely spontaneous. And um, so his company cars had been his passion and that he, he'd reached a point in life. He, uh, you know, he worked up the corporate ladder 20 years of, of graft um, to the point where he could get his hands on the merchandise and that was what he wanted he wanted an Aston Martin but you know actually we didn't know start of the day we just went out to a dealership um, and we just heard this beast being fired up and it was the 1993 Vantage so it's this huge V8 lump and uh, twin supercharged beautiful it was in a dark kind of British racing green very angry looking machine if you've ever seen a, the old vantage and it was a real one of a kind and um, actually the two of them were quite well matched because <laughs> uh, it took someone like him to be able to handle it and um, that was pretty amazing it was a fun trip home yeah i think so i think the closest i can come to that is i my daughter was quite small i think she was about four and i said i would take a day off work and take her to the beach and we took her uh, i took her to like to the donut shop to have a donut a treat you know with dad and i picked up an auto trader and ended up instead of going to the beach which was in del mar we went to huntington beach and i bought a porsche carrera <laughs> came home Ooh. with that so my daughter always teased me going dad going to the beach with you is no fun at all <laughs> it's <laughs> so, expensive yeah exactly well what was your first really special car in your life ben so i had a, a honda um which you know people don't always associate with um with being sporty cars but this one was quite special it was the it was based on the honda civic so it was the crx so it was a two-seat car, and that was kind of punchy for a, a kind of first foray into motoring. But I absolutely loved it. It had the VTEC variable valve timing. Yeah. If I'm right in saying it, it was 1.6 injection. And it just had this you know, Honda have the most fantastically drivable, normally aspirated engines. Yeah. And um, so this thing, I really connected with it. Um, did terrible things um, driving around country roads and stuff. But it was, um, it was just a... It, it was the ultimate sports car. It was it was small. It was fast. It was light. Uh, the roof came off, which which was magic. So you, it was convertible, and you just put the the roof went into the trunk. Yeah, and um, just yeah, played played music loud, and um, I suppose probably scared the public witless. But yeah, that was my that was my car. So it was um, early days on the on the road in a fantastic machine. That and it the, it had a beautiful sense of cornering. It was um, you know wasn't too stiff. A lot of the modern cars now are very wooden. It feels like you're driving on train tracks, and this one still had that um, that really good sense of personality, and it was telling you what it was doing. Well, I can't imagine where you got the driving behavior from. I, I don't know where <laughs> that came from. So all those days in the back seat. So, Ben, I'm going to ask you a question I'll bet nobody's ever asked you before. I'm going to get into your head a little bit here, all right? There's not much in your space. I, 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 I kind of doubt that. If I, um, if I told you this, you woke up tomorrow and you were manifest as a vehicle. It's not what you want to be, because we all would love to be something sexy, Ferrari, who knows. It's how you perceive your personality traits manifest into a vehicle. What would Ben Collins be and why? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> how, I'm not sure I can answer it truthfully, because I'm, I'm bound to project, you know, something that, I'm, that I want to put out there. I mean, the only 
thing I can say that I've really bonded with uh, probably does say something about me, but it's because it's sort of a blunt instrument, and yeah. um, and I have a is a I have a Land Rover Defender oh, um, okay. from the nineties. I think that that's pretty close to it. I mean, there's no beeping. It doesn't complain very much. It's got good power, and it's pretty. It's a pretty straight shooter. What you see is what you get. Yeah, maybe okay. that's about right. So, I mean, what I love about it is that despite its age, I still think that it can pretty much outdrive almost anything on a, on a, um, a muddy, a muddy terrain off road, ter- you know, yeah. and, um, there's some amazing technology out there now that they've put into, you know, the, the, the variable, um, sorry, the torque vectoring across, oh, yeah. across different wheels and all that. But yeah, I'm not sure. I still think that the old defender has it. So yeah, I love it. It's, um, it's a military spec, um, landy canvas top. So you can, again, you can take the roof off and, yeah. um, but I like it because it's bare bones and, and, and pretty rugged and it takes a good, takes a beating. I have an affinity with that. Whether that really is what I, you know, whether that's got anything to do with my personality, I don't know. I think it kind of fits. I appreciate you going there. Sometimes that's a hard thing for people to answer. So we're going to dive into what's called the last lap. And I promise we're going to get to this book in a minute. That question's going to come up because I want you to talk more about it. I love the segue you gave about your dad and the Aston. I think that was great. But let's start off with this one. What's one of your personal habits that you think has contributed to your many successes in life? Well, I suppose it's a trait, whether it's good or bad, is I'm quite argumentative. And uh, so that's good and bad because you can, like, you can talk yourself into trouble quite quickly with that. <laughs> but I love, to get, I love to get to the nub of a problem. I'm analytical. I, I really want to understand how things work. And um, I don't always like to take things for granted. You know, if there's a piece of information, I, I like to question it, which can be seen as argumentative. But actually, the amount of times you, you realize, well, actually, just because it says that on Wikipedia doesn't make it true um, or because you've heard it or seen it, whatever. So um, I really enjoy investigating. And certainly with the book and with everything else I've done with racing and you name it, there are truths that you get to, you, you find your way there. Um, so in terms of this project, that's something I really found helpful because um, it was a case of, of digging into the, the history books, um, but also doing interviews and, and breaking down, you know, what is it that makes stuff work? And yeah. um, so I think that um, that's a useful trait to have sometimes. Absolutely. Now, if I had a magic wand and I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry or racing industry, who would that individual be? Well, for me, it's easy, but I think a lot of people have said this probably to you before. Um, Ayrton Senna would be the one. And uh, I had an opportunity maybe to, to meet him. Um, it was 1993, again, at Silverstone. It was my first Grand Prix that I was wandering around. And um, it was my first experience of motor racing. Um, and it was it was incredible. And we were in the Formula One pit lane. And the lady that was guiding me through said, oh, I can introduce you to Senna. And even though I didn't know much about racing, I knew enough to to be pretty blown away by that and as we were getting closer i could sort of i gauged what the business was about by them and she saw him and he why he waved and smiled and she said we'll go and say hi and i said no please don't don't go because it was um if i remember rightly that was the, it was the qualifying day i knew that it was about 15 minutes before the session was going to start and um i just didn't want to be uh, that guy that was um getting you know getting in the way between on, on the on an important day so the the wave and the smile was was good enough and i never forgot it and uh, as as time has gone on and i've uh, very much um did a lot of my research and my because i had no karting experience i read tons of books to try and get some way ahead of um how to go about my racing career he was he was pivotal so i you know poured over all the video of how his, of his driving style which was completely different to anything i i can do very very unique style that he used but hugely inspirational and yeah i mean he would be he would be an incredible gent to to oh yeah to to sit down with 
Yeah, definitely. He's on my list. In fact, I have one of his many quotes in the back of my business card. And that quote is, the past is just data. I only see the future. Uh, <laughs> but that's a classic, classic center line. I love that. When it comes to Sorry. automotive advice, driving, racing, whatever it might be, something in the automotive field, what's the best advice someone else ever offered to you? Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, so, Ben? Telling you to yeah, calm down? <laughs> well, my first season was pretty fraught. I'd read these books, and it seemed to me reading them that Senna won everything, and that that was the model I should follow, regardless of the situation. And uh, you have to learn to accept defeat, actually, with equal um, uh, compassion. So that was not something I was willing to do at age um, 19. So wherever I was, I was trying to force my way to the front, and as, as a result, had some colossal um, crashes and destroyed three chassis and it was really good advice um, from the team um, in cahoots with my dad that said there are no more cars calm down or this is over and that really sunk in so um, that uh, suddenly I realized that the, the the old adage to finish first you first have to finish so I started finishing um, which was which was progress for me um, having sort of not finished many of the races in the first half of the season and started getting the podiums and and then um, won my first race and, and it was a very telling way because the I was running in second the leader was hell and gone he was uncatchable but um, in the time I had left I drove the wheels off the car as quickly as, as I could pedal it and dragged every tenth of a second I could in, a, in pursuit of this guy and out of the last corner his car coughed because they'd underfueled it and ran it light and I got past I drag raced him to the line and beat him by one tenth of a second to win the race and that's how I won my first race so I guess you learn lots of things from that firstly is leave nothing on the table because you just never know I mean it, I mean one tenth of a second if I'd been lazy in one corner he could have run out of fuel and I still wouldn't have beaten him right. and all the other things and that you know by being there in second place as opposed to in the wall trying to win it on the first lap that's what opens up the opportunity so I became a lot more calculating but yeah it started with the Calm down. Calm you down. need to calm down. Well, and it goes back to that quote, never, ever give up. Never give up. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this book. I've been uh, leading up to this, but I want to talk about this. You're very interesting because going from racing to stunt driving to being the Stig and, but you're an author too, which is very cool. There's been a couple books that you've written. You can talk about those, but right now I want to hear more about Aston Martin, Made in Britain, this tie to your father that you gave us this wonderful segue. I'll mention real quickly to your other book, How to Drive, The Ultimate Guide from the Man Who Was the Stig, another great book that you've done. But why did you choose that, Mark? And tell us a little bit about this venture into writing this book. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I've always enjoyed writing and, um, you know, my folks made me go to school, so I had to do all that. And uh, I, I did enjoy it. And, uh, and uh, so... I've always been fascinated with writing and early on I, I was you know, deployed by Autosport magazine to do some track tests for them and I just loved um, coming up with, with stuff that had a, I suppose, a wink of humour to it but that was um, that also explored what these cars were capable of and then I did a bit of writing for, for other news outlets. So there was a latent interest. I was very fortunate to get a chance to, to write a couple of books that were more focused on my experiences and racing and as the Stig and doing other things. So I did a biography and the, and the how to drive book, try to give people those, you know, who use performance based skills for everyday driving. This Aston Martin book was really a great departure because it meant that um, with a few, with a few exceptions, I mean, I've used my life experiences of, of working in movies and, um, and growing up um, to feed in some, I suppose, driver eye feeling what it's like driving Aston Martins, but mostly 
they're really cool stories about other people, which is what I've loved. And um, I was really blown away by the, the big personalities from early days, 19 sort of 20s through to modern day, that there's such a, a bond between the early pioneers to now. So um, the book really is a kind of series of mini biographies on these people. And um, and that's what I, I got to do. And so the more recent ones, I was able to do um, interviews with people who are alive. And for the rest, I went to the library and went to Aston Martin's uh, bunker, got in there with their their archivist and their, their research team and, and went through all their notes. And so I got to really dive into detail. People like um, Sir Sterling Moss um, got his old race reports out, learned about um, his absolute genius behind the wheel, and um, you know he's such a humble, he was such a humble guy that uh, I think a lot, a lot of what he was about hasn't really been shared, which I felt definitely should come to light. So I've I've managed to get so I've really dug into the detail of his driving technique and analysed his you know performance and and really the comments by his contemporaries that um, that really. Tell, tell, tell you just how special he was um so that's one example and you know for aston martin that's how they won their first outright le mans in 1959 and it's a it's a fantastic story and you know that weekend began for sterling diving into the river and losing his front teeth and uh, getting a getting a spare set thrown out to him on the on the day of the race yeah. <laughs> and uh, and doing the the classic one two with ferrari where he or the the uh, the hare and the tortoise where sterling went out as the hare the ferraris chased him blew up their engines and then realized that his car wasn't going to make it either and um the the tortoise the, the slower aston carefully just carved its way through and, and made the victory but without sterling moss there would have been no win yeah it's been really fun um hearing these stories and um and being able to relate them i got to see him drive i believe it was a db2 uh at the historic races at laguna seca years and years ago uh, i raced vintage cars and was running there and he showed up as the celebrity if you will and somebody loaned him uh there i believe it was a db2 uh might be it might have been a one but the old beautiful 50s you know race cars and uh Sadly, he crashed that day into a wall, but uh, yeah. I tossed the key. Sorry about that, champ. But uh, yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, incredible. Now, Aston Martin, you've driven a lot of Aston Martins in the films you've done, particularly with James Bond, right? Um, yeah. Do you have a, a favorite? Well, I'm not allowed to talk about the new film, um, but I, I can say that the the V8, the the one from the 80s, is uh, the car that they used in the Living Daylights reappears. That's always been my favourite car. For well, one sorry, one of my favourite Astons, just because it's got that um, that mean look about it, and uh, it's amazing to drive a vintage car that has still got that tight tightness to the to the handling the great response from the power, and fortunately, with in the case of that V8, the uh, the ability to stop. Which is, which is always important. So um, that didn't that didn't let me down at all. Actually, one of the strange things about it is you sit very high in it. So if you're if you're above five foot ten, your head is kind of brushing the um, the ceiling, which I didn't expect from a huge car like that. You'd have thought you had more space, but it's pretty wonderful. I mean, there's there's so many great cars from over the years. The DB5 is you know memorable for many reasons, and um, what's quite cool is they're now reproducing the, the continuation series. So they're doing 25 limited edition, brand new DB fives with all the gadgets fitted, all of those wonderful. Um, but I think, you know, kind of cool that really they've, 
they've done something quite special for the film by building this this stunt stunt car which is a lightened version so um it, the skin is completely carbon and you know fiber weave to lighten up the chassis um they've done uh, you know it's about half the weight of a regular car with much more power and to drive that is um is, is pretty magical and um again it, it links back to one of the early pioneers um at aston who was um tadek marek who escaped from poland during world war ii had this crazy journey across across Europe to um, to Romania, where he ended up convincing someone to lend him a Nazi staff car and pedal this thing across um, back across into Ukraine to rescue his wife, get out of there. Then they went across to North Africa, where they were arrested, and, um, and eventually they managed to negotiate their way and escape back to back to Britain. Wow! And so he emerged after World War Two and ended up working for David Brown. Um, and um, was the man that, that sort of um, led the project on building the DB5. Um, so uh, why am I talking about him? Partly because he's really cool, and I loved doing the research about Tadek Marek, and partly because I think he would have been a man after my heart. He he took a, a V8, he developed um, Aston Martin's V8 engine and threw one into a DB5, but only into one of them. So he made this one-off special um, that would have been very, very powerful, um, very much like the the stunt car that um, has been made for the for the film, and um, he drove that as his personal car. Anyway, there's there's some one very lucky person um, who may not even know that they own it, but they own a, a V8 powered DB5. There was only one ever made, and they and they sold it, so it's out there somewhere. Out there somewhere. Well, I tell you, the little sneak peeks I've seen of the trailers from the new Bond movie, and I'm so bummed they're pushing it back because of this terrible COVID situation the world's dealing with. But uh, you had some fun my friend, most definitely. <laughs> it's going to be a great film when it comes out. Can't, yeah. I can't wait to see it as well. Yeah. And um, it was great working with the, with the team who did it. So, um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we can just look forward to it. I'll just keep enjoying the trailers for now. Yeah, well, you know, they just keep getting better and better, these movies. Uh, yeah. I love Daniel Craig as Bond. I think he's just done a marvelous job bringing that whole character forward to today's serious world that we live in. You look at some of the old Bonds, and they're kind of goofy and funny, but that was a different time. So, yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, love all the cars and everything. I'll put links to Ben's books on his show notes page on the Cars Yeah website. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Ben Collins. These links will come up i would encourage you to actually get get a hold of all of his books and i'm going to put all of them up there for you uh they're really brilliant but the aston martin made in britain this is a book you want to have on your shelf for sure all right we are up to the checkered flag here you've been here many times at the end of the race i'm going to do something very nice for you today i'm going to buy you a very cool collector car today anything in the world doesn't matter where it is or who owns it i'm going to park it in your garage but there's a couple rules to this game since i'm writing this i'm guessing is going to be a very big check one is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. The other is I want you to drive it. This needs to tick all the boxes. So on the weekends when you come out, you're going to go, that's the car. The one Mark bought me. That's the one I'm taking for a drive in the English countryside. But here's the kicker. It's the only collector car you can have in your garage. So you can only have one very special ride. So what am I buying for Ben Collins today? Well, for me, it's fairly easy. There was, um, I mean, back in the day, there was the Ferrari P3, and uh, that was an amazing piece of kit, very expensive. This is cheaper, actually. So, I mean, okay, thank I you. Think I think this is quite modest. Uh, for anyone listening who really is feeling good um, and wants to donate this to my, you know, to my garage, which yep. is empty. So, it's the Porsche Carrera GT. 
Um, I think it's kind of like the modern equivalent to the P3. It's the it's got the screaming V10 engine that was originally designed to be a Formula One engine. It's a very recalcitrant car to drive. It's um, very aggressive, but I absolutely fell in love with it when I when I got to test that on Top Gear, and um, it's just a fantastic car. It's um, it's pretty brutal. It doesn't have a huge amount of downforce, but it's got this just incredible power. Once you you learn its way and accept how it how it handles, it, it, it fits like a glove. That's the car. And it's absolutely, I think, one of the most stunning cars ever made to to look at. Just absolutely gorgeous car. Yeah. So yeah. Well, one yeah. of those, please. Okay. Well, you know, you picked up a, a mark after my heart. I'm a Porsche guy, always have been. And that Carrera GT, yeah, when they came out, I, I just like, whoa, what have they done here? Yeah. In fact, the latest issue, my good friend and past guest here, Pete Stout, triple zero magazine it's a porsche magazine uh the latest issue is all about that car it goes in depth in detail i learned some things about it i never knew about that car now so that i get you the right one ben what color would you like your career gt to be i think it should be black um with the with the wooden gear knob so if you if you <laughs> um when you look at the in car these things they have um there were different options it's got a huge chunky yeah uh, gear and I think if I'm right in saying some of them literally look like golf balls. It's got the sort of the dots inside it. And I, that's not the one. It wants to be the wooden knob with the black car and dark interior, please. Okay. That would be lovely. Well, and that wooden knob is a play off the old Porsche 917 race car. Didn't know that. Yeah. But that's good intel. There you go. I'll make sure I get you the right one. Thank you. Just send it over. Okay. Well, we'll get it over there. I'm going to come with it, though, so I can have you take me for a drive and scare the you-know-what out of me. I think that would be yeah. fun. You have been awesome today, and I really appreciate you spending some time with me. This has been uh, really fun. For those listeners, we're doing a Skype. I get to see his handsome face, uh, which adds another layer of funness to this, uh, talking with Ben Collins, the Stig, the white Stig, as they call him. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. Now, before I let you go... Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance when it comes to life or driving or whatever it might be before you drive off into the sunset in your very own black Carrera GT? Don't overtake on a blind bend. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But we're all doing that at the moment as we as we as we um, gate crash through one through this uh, this terrible situation. But we're nearing the end. But yeah. Um, yeah, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Stay positive. Now, Ben, what's a good way for people to keep up with your active life? Um, that's a good question. Well, I'm now I'm doing a lot more on Instagram and um, and Facebook, so um, I tend to keep a regular news feed out on there. Um, so certainly in terms of events, um, sales promotions, when we've got um, some things like that coming up for the book. Um, but most importantly for me, my next big date is uh, the 15th of October, which is when this this um, Aston Martin book releases. So really looking forward to that. And um, I can't wait to see what people think of it. So um, I'm keen to see as many reviews as people will will throw out there. And I hope uh, hope people enjoy this as much as I've done, because um, I've, I was giggling away reading some of the material before I put it into the book. And I hope it makes people smile. You know, definitely. I got to see a little sneak peek PDF of the book. It's absolutely brilliant. Can't wait to get my hands on a copy. I will have one. This is great. And I want to do a shout out. Thank you to Peter Grimsdale, who suggested that I reach out to you and contact you. He's great. Uh, he's connected us. So uh, thank you, Peter, for doing that. Uh, ben, thanks for being so generous today with your time and with your expertise and with your funness. You are an awesome guy. I really, really had fun today. Until you and I talk again and they let us out of lockdown. I'll see yeah. you down the road. Thank you for the great questions and everybody be safe, be well. See you soon. Absolutely. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. 
Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at com. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting. But what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.